Uh, good morning to you. Uh, my name is Adam, if you don't know me. I am one of the pastors here at Bethel Church, and it's my privilege to share from God's uh, Word today. Uh, before we jump into our passage, uh, I want to give kind of a bittersweet announcement. Again, I gave it during first service, so you guys know it's coming here. Uh, one of our blood families, uh, Lincoln and Laura McCready, this is their last Sunday here uh, at Bethel and in Fairbanks. They're moving to Boise, Idaho. Can you believe that? Boo! <laughs> So uh, Lincoln uh, has been uh, on drums here and uh, pretty much grew up in this church too, yeah? And then Laura's been here for several years and then serving in the office here at the church for many years as well. So we will miss you both. Come back anytime. Move back anytime. Uh, not a problem. And I, I said during first service, my one regret is that I have yet to see Lincoln do like a crazy drum solo from, from up here. But uh, he's, he's got the chops, man. Um, anyway, let's get praying and we'll get into God's word. Lord, uh, we thank you for life. We thank you that we are here today and uh, that we can hear your word. Uh, so just waken us up in our hearts that um, we would hear you speaking to us, Holy Spirit. Uh, we know that uh, you are conforming us to be like you, Jesus. So help us to do that well. Help us to live lives that honor you and um, use your word today just to shape and mold us. We pray all these things for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Uh, well, you guys have figured out we are in the final days of 2019, almost to 2020. And um, we have passed the shortest day of the year, yay. And we'll be getting more daylight and hopefully some more warmth before too long here. And I have the privilege this morning not only of sharing the last sermon uh, from Bethel in 2019, uh, but also the last one in our series that we've been doing, which is Songs of the Saints. And if you've been over here through December or the past few months, you know uh, that we've been taking some passages from Scripture that have been uh, that, that are obviously found in the Bible, but that uh, songs are come from there uh, or started there. And today it's our last one. And so uh, to celebrate our last sermon about songs, and also to get you guys warmed up, I thought I'd throw you into some friendly competition with your neighbor. So uh, find your neighbor that you're going to compete against. So i got a question for you both. And, and this is going to be kind of a family feud style where I ask you a musical question. So I'm priming the pump here. I'm going to ask you both a musical question and you just answer quickly to your neighbor. So talk to your neighbor. And you're trying to get the top answer or higher on the top five list. So like number three beats number four, that kind of thing. So, got it? Choose your neighbor. I ask you a musical question and shout out your answer to each other, okay? So here we, okay, I can tell you're ready to go over here. So here we go. Uh, we asked 100 imaginary people this musical question. What's the best goodbye song of all time? Go! Say it to each other. Say it to your neighbor. If you beat them... You get bragging rights for the rest of 2019. Ready? Time's up. Okay, let's, let's check your answers. Hopefully that you're able to, to beat your neighbor on this one. So what is the best goodbye song of all time? So we're going to count from number five down to number one. Okay, number five. Feels like you're at a hockey game, right? 
Uh, okay, so yes, uh, Shananana Hey 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 Goodbye by Steam. Didn't know the, the band. Okay, this one's a little not so well known. Let's try it though. It's Time to Say Goodbye by Andrea Bocelli and Sarah Brightman. Okay, you will know this third one. Getting back together. Come on! Okay. Okay, thank you, Taylor. Okay. Uh, you will get number two. We're up to number two here. Someone's going to beat their neighbor with this one. So long, farewell, I'll be saying goodnight. I hate to go and leave this pretty sight. Okay. And some of you are hoping you have the number one song, the best goodbye song of all time. Ready for it? In sync, bye bye bye. If you didn't know that one, okay. So I hope you beat your neighbor again and get bragging rights for the rest of the year. And uh, if some of you thought I was going to say that the top goodbye song in our list was going to be what we're looking at from Scripture today, right? Ha ha! If that's you, I got you. It was a trick question. Um, and the reason for that is because our last song of the saints isn't at the top of that list. It's not because it's so hard to top the poetic genius of InSync. That's you can do that. And it isn't because our song has nothing to do with goodbyes, because our passage of scripture is about a departure or a goodbye of sorts today. But the reason why our song from today's sermon isn't at the top of the list is because it's actually not a song. At least it didn't start out that way. The words that we're going to focus on today from Scripture are actually a little bit more like a prophetic prophecy or poetic prophecy that a guy named Simeon said over Jesus when he was presented in the Jewish temple when he was still a baby. And even though these words by this older guy, Simeon, didn't start out as a song, uh, the things that he said about Jesus got set to music at a pretty early point in church history, uh, at least by the 4th century, maybe before that and uh, became a song. And because of that, the words that Simeon spoke are sometimes called Simeon's song, or in Latin, nunc dimittis. I don't do Latin much. And what Simeon has to say, I think, is especially appropriate for us at this time of the year when we're closing up one year and starting a new one um, because uh, it helps us to reflect on what's really important in life. And a few of you might be like me, that when you get to the end of one year and you're approaching a new year, you kind of like to reflect on time passing and the brevity of your own life. I mean, just a few days ago, Holly and I were watching some news piece. You know how they do this, where it's like all the celebrities that have died in the past year. You guys see these things? And, uh, or they see all the news events that have happened in the past year, and you like see them back to back to back, and you're like, wow, a lot of life has happened in 2019. And so I do like to get pretty reflective about life and the meaning of life when I approach New Year's Eve. More times, more than other times, I'm really aware about the passing of time. I'm more aware than usual about the mortality that we all share, about the brevity of life. And it's been like that for me for a long time. In fact, uh, I was thinking about this. I can actually remember where I was 30 years ago, literally. Um, I was a senior in high school. Yeah, do the math. 
And uh, it was, I was at a New Year's Eve party with my friends, and it was a house party. No parents there, no chaperones. I wasn't a Christian. And you can kind of imagine the, the crazy antics that we were all getting into. Uh, but as midnight approached way back then, uh, I remember thinking, you know, this, this just seems so meaningless. Uh, all this partying and everything seems so empty, very shallow. And I thought, isn't there more to life than just this? Everyone tells us this is the dream. This is what we should be living for. And I was very dissatisfied in that. And I remember before midnight sneaking out of the party, going to the side of the house just by myself and kind of reflecting and thinking about, frankly, the meaning of life. You know, what's this life all about? What am I living for and what ought I be living for? And when I was 17, I just figured, well, you can't really have a real answer to that question. But I was reaching out. I was searching. It was, it was legitimate. I hungered to have an answer, even though that it, the answer seemed so elusive to me at the time. Uh, and apparently, I wasn't the only one from the late 80s who was asking that question because one of the defining anthems of that era, if you were there, you know it. It's U2's. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So I figured I was in good company. If Bono didn't know the meaning to life, how was I going to know it, right? And I think those questions that I was asking, that what's it all about? How do you live a life that really counts? How do you live a life with real meaning? Are the ones that come to each one of us at certain points in our life when we reflect on our lives, our mortality, the swiftness of the years. For many of us, that's at New Year's time. But our song today, Simeon's song, his prophetic words are going to answer those questions for us and help us to live and focus on what's really important in life. So how do you live a life of real meaning? An old dude named Simeon, of all things, who lived 2,000 years ago, has something to say about that. And part of what he has to say, it's probably not surprising to some of us, but the balance of what he has to say might be very surprising to us. So let's fasten your seatbelts and get into scripture here. We're going to be in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 22. So 222, 222. And as you're flipping over there to Luke 222, I'll give you the context. This is early in the Gospel. Uh, Christmas is over so to speak. Uh, Joseph and Mary have their newborn Jesus, uh, and they are bringing uh, him to the temple. They're getting on with real life, and they're about to take Jesus to the Jewish temple in Jerusalem to dedicate him to God. It's kind of like a child dedication. And although we're going to spend most of our time focusing on specifically what Simeon had to say during that time, I want us to get the bigger picture of what's going on there in the temple when Jesus gets presented, so we can understand Simeon's words in context. So let's start reading in verse uh, 22, and I'm going to read through to the end of the chapter there. And then uh, after we do that, we'll unpack it a little bit here. Verse 22, it says, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, this is Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it's written, the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was in Jerusalem, a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. 
it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, and this is his song, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child's appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. There's also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. So this is the temple scene where Jesus gets dedicated as a baby. And uh, before we zoom in on what Simeon has to say about Jesus and about how what he has to say relates to this question about living a life of meaning, I just want to mention a few things from the bigger context of this temple scene that helps us to figure out what's going on here. Uh, the first big overarching thing from this scene is that Luke, the author, he's establishing the legitimacy of Jesus as the Messiah, the Jewish king, in a few different ways. Uh, first, he does this by demonstrating uh, that Jesus is legitimate, by showing that his parents were doing things by the book. They were following the Jewish law. Uh, we'll just skim verses 22 through 24 here, and just notice how many times the law of Moses is referred to or the law of Moses is quoted. I'll just read it. I'll just take note here. Verse 22 says, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, and then he quotes it, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons, and he quotes the law a second time here. And the point of all these references to the Jewish law and where he quotes it is simply that Joseph and Mary were good Jews. They were raising their child as would be expected by obedient Jews, and they're doing everything by the book. So Luke is saying, Jesus, he is skookum in how his parents raised him. He's not disqualified. He's not illegitimate. He is a good Jewish boy from a good Jewish family. And the second way that Luke establishes Jesus' legitimacy as the Messiah here is he brings on stage these two older, credible witnesses who affirm Jesus' role, his future role in redeeming Israel. And these witnesses' names are Simeon and Anna. Now, uh, we're not going to look in detail at Anna today, as interesting as she is, uh, but just know what Luke does when he mentions her there. It's, uh, she's a credible witness because she's got a long track record of faithfulness, 
godliness, speaking for God. And we don't know exactly what Anna said about Jesus, but she spoke about him there in the temple just as Simeon did. But really the focus of this passage is going to be on Simeon there, and we get a little bit more information about him as this second character witness to Jesus. Verse 25 says about Simeon, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now, uh, let's just pause there and think here. When you compare Simeon to Anna, we don't really hear Luke mention Simeon's age. I mean, we kind of assume that he's an older guy because he's near the end of his life. He's kind of a parallel to Anna there. But what we hear about him is we hear about his godliness. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, which is just another way of saying he's waiting for the Messiah here. So he knew his Bible well. He knew what God was planning to do on the earth by bringing this Messiah. He was waiting for him. And it says there, interestingly, that the Holy Spirit was on him. And that last detail, that the Holy Spirit was on him, is significant. Uh, Because this scene that we're seeing in the Bible, this is before Pentecost. Uh, In other words, back in that day, it was not the norm for the Holy Spirit to indwell anyone, really. And even for the Holy Spirit to come upon someone, even for a short time, was kind of a rarity. It was an unusual thing. And the bottom line, as far as Luke is concerned, is he's saying about seeing, this is a godly, godly, godly guy. So pay attention to what he's about to say about this Messiah. Now, in fact, uh, Simeon was so spiritual, we, we see here in verse 26 that he also heard something from God. It says in verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And you can imagine how exciting that prospect would have been to someone like Simeon. I mean, here he is, an older guy, probably having studied the Bible his whole life, and he understands from reading the Bible, hey, we're in a mess here. We are a fallen, rebellious humanity that's turned away from God, and this broken world is a result. And he would have realized from reading in Scripture that his own people, the Jews, hadn't been able to do anything about it. They weren't able to rescue the world. They weren't able to fix things between them and God. It was one story of failure after the other. And he knew from reading the scriptures that God was going to have to fix the problem with his own right hand. That God was going to have to fix the situation by sending the Messiah. Simeon, righteous, godly guy, he believes, right? He believes God's going to send his Messiah. It's going to happen. It's going to happen someday. God, I trust you. It's going to happen. But then, I don't know if this is an audible voice or if God just gave him an impression, but he gets this message basically from God. And the Holy Spirit reveals to him and says something like, I don't, these are not the words per se, but it goes, Simeon, you know about the Savior, the Messiah who's going to fix things between me and humanity? The one who's going to take care of sin and deal with this mess of a world? Well, the Messiah is coming soon. In fact, he's coming so soon, you will see him with your own eyes before you die. I mean, just imagine how amazing that would have been for Simeon. I mean, maybe he's waking up every day thinking, man, Lord, is this the day, Lord? Is this the day? This is the dream of a lifetime. This is something worth living for. And that is going to bring us back to our original question. Well, how do you live a life of real meaning? 
Simeon's words, what he's going to speak over Jesus, are going to give us the answers to that question. But before we read what he said, I just want to make our first point here. You live a life of real meaning by realizing that it centers on Jesus. Let's read in verse 27. It says, Moved by the Spirit, he, Simeon, went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Okay, so let's pause right there. There's two groups coming here. On one hand, you have Joseph and Mary and and baby Jesus here coming in obedience to the law, compelled by that, to the temple courts. On the other hand, you have Simeon here, compelled by the Holy Spirit from whatever he was doing, wherever he was, to go into the temple courts that day. And they both intersect here with Jesus in the temple courts. And uh, Simeon's words when he sees the Messiah here are basically something like this. He goes, Oh, at long last, this is finally it, Lord. I can die in peace now that I've seen the Savior that you've brought into the world. This is what I've been waiting for, the fulfillment of all your promises. And here he is, right in my hands. I mean, literally what he says is he says, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations. This is Simeon's goodbye song, so to speak. He says, I found the Savior of the world. Now I can die in peace. And that satisfaction that Simeon feels near the end of his life, as lovely as that sounds to many of us, I mean, wouldn't you like to say, ah, I did what I needed to do. I can die in peace. That's actually not the main point. And we need to be careful when we read Simeon's words here or we'll miss the main point because his words, the words he says, are not merely about his own personal life fulfillment. This isn't the case of some old guy just checking off one random thing from his bucket list. What he says goes far beyond all that. It's not like he's saying, visit the Eiffel Tower, check. Finish the four-pound hamburger eating challenge at Food Factory, check. See the Lord's Messiah, check. I can now die in peace, right? This is not about one man's arbitrary bucket list. This is about a guy who has finally found what he's been looking for and what the whole world, what all of humanity has been waiting for. And that's the rub of it. He's not rejoicing because he's had one of his personal minor wishes fulfilled or that the scavenger hunt of his life is complete. He's rejoicing because he has found the one who is at the very center of human history. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior of the world, as in the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation for the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. And that really is the main point. This is the Savior, not just for the Jews, but for the whole world, the fixer of what's broken, the one who's going to restore us before God so that we can walk rightly with him. 
And this is why Simeon can say to the Lord, Ah, now, now I can go, Lord. You can now dismiss me in peace. He's satisfied. He's lived a life of true meaning, one that has been focused on what God is doing in the world, which culminates in Jesus Christ. So let me just ask all of us a question or two. Uh, First one is, unlike Bono, from you too, have you found what you're looking for? Have you figured it out? Do you know how to live a meaningful life? The answer is right here in front of us this Christmas season, and it's not a thing, it's a person. It's Jesus Christ. He is at the very epicenter of the entire human story from beginning to end throughout the ages. And if you've missed him, you've missed what life is all about. A life of real meaning, it's not defined by great relationships, as nice as it is to have good relationships. A life of real meaning is not defined by just having a lot of influence through your work or by having a whole collection of random experiences that will wow your friends on Facebook and Instagram because you did a thing. A life of real meaning is one that's poured out and utterly spent on Jesus Christ. Because here's the story of reality. God made mankind, but mankind rebelled against God and said, you know what? We don't want you as our boss. We can do it ourselves. Our first ancestors said something like that, and each one of us in our own lives has done that as well. And so as a result, we have a broken relationship with God, a broken relationship with the world around us. The world's a mess, and we can't fix either problem, either with God or with the world around us. And so we need God's solution. We need a Savior. And how did Jesus save us? Well, he took care of our sin problem, this broken relationship with God. He took on human flesh. He came as a baby during Christmas. But he grew up. He lived a perfect life, and he died on a cross, not because of anything wrong he had done, uh, but for the things wrong that we have done and will do. And after he died, he rose again from the dead to prove his power over death. And he took care of the sin problem that we all need to deal with. And what God is asking of us now is that we repent, which means that we basically turn away from saying, hey, I'm going to be my own boss, and say, God, I want you to be my boss. You're surely going to do it better than I will. And then when we turn back to him, we put our trust in what Jesus did on the cross, paying for our sins for all the bad things we've ever done. That's really what it's all about. And then we begin the greatest adventure, knowing God and serving him. This is the life centered on Jesus, and it's the one of real meaning. And if you don't already have it, I ask you, do you want it? I hope you do, because I hope you're not satisfied with all the noise and the glitter that the world will sell you and download to your phone in a heartbeat. Because the world will bombard our hearts with a million different things that will distract us and that will slowly bleed away our days and our years and ultimately steal our very lives away if we let it. But if you want to take hold of that life of meaning, there's something else from this passage that we all need to realize before we jump in. We need to realize that if we want to live this life of real meaning, one centered on Jesus, 
it's going to cost us. Let's read the rest of what Simeon had to say in verse 33. He says, or it says, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary's mother, behold, means pay attention, this child's appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And the sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Now, it turns out that Simeon has a few more things to say other than just that song that's attributed to him. And the first part of what he has to say, uh, that a life of satisfaction, meaning, fulfillment, comes from living one's life centered on Jesus, that might not be a surprise to us. But in this last section, Simeon drops this prophetic bombshell on her. She says, Mary, get ready, it's going to be a wild ride. You see, earlier when Simeon told Mary and Joseph, yes, here he is, this is God's Messiah, the one we've all been waiting for, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. I and mean, we can imagine the scene there in the temple. Maybe it's a beautiful orange, deserty sunset. This is the one that we've all been waiting for. I can go now, Lord. You know, this peaceful, you know, kind of music. Fade to black, go to the credits, end of the movie, right? It's not where the scene ends. Simeon goes a step further. And this time, he's only addressing Mary. Uh, as to why he's not addressing Joseph, we're not really told. Maybe Simeon knows that Joseph will be out of the picture uh, by then, later on when these words come to pass, or maybe it's for some other reason. We don't know. But for whatever reason, Simeon turns to Mary and says that, hey, great news that your son's the savior of the world, but ah, he's going to ruffle some feathers. Behold, Listen up. This child's appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Not necessarily what you want to hear during a baby dedication, right? In other words, Mary, brace yourself. This savior of the world that humanity has been waiting for He's going to overturn some apple carts, including yours. And if you're following along uh, in your Bibles there in the NIV, you're going to notice that the way that I read those verses might seem a little bit out of order than what's in the NIV. And the reason for that is because I read verses 34 and 35 in the New American Standard, and I did that uh, for a reason. In the New American Standard uh, translation, as well as in the ESV and New King James, the translators followed the clause order, the grammar, exactly as it is in Greek. NIV, they switched it around for some reason. And uh, trigger alert here, I'm going to get a bit grammar nerdy on you for a few seconds. So you can either tune in or tune out for about 10 seconds. What's going on here in those verses is basically you have these three parallel, these three coordinate conjunction or uh, coordinate clauses followed by a conjunction that translates into something like in order that which leads to this kicker at the very end of the sentence. So it's one, two, three, boom. So the weight of what Simeon is saying to Mary is something more like, hey, Mary, this child's destined to overturn people's apple carts and to be a sign that's going to be rejected. And even your own soul, there's an emphatic pronoun there, even your own soul is going to be split apart in order that, here's the kicker, that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. One, two, three, boom. 
So the first parts of Simeon's message is, yes, at last, the Savior's here. I can die in peace. But the second part's important too. And he's going to create some tumult. He's going to expose some hearts and show where people really are. Everyone's cards are going to be down on the table when this happens. And the reason that Jesus causes this tumult is because his appearance in the earth to fix what's broken, to repair this rift between God and man, it's going to demand something from each one of us. If we're going to follow him, it'll cost us. Now, Simeon talks about the falling and rising of many in Israel. This is the overturn of the status quo. This is the flipping over of priorities. And when when Jesus comes on earth and reveals the character of God the Father, he's going to say basically that, you know what, priorities need to change. Things aren't being done right around here. And some people are going to look at that spilled apple cart and say, you know, he's right. My priorities are not where they ought to be. I've been focusing on the wrong things. And yet other people are going to shake their fists and say, hey, what are you doing to my apple cart? Who do you think you are? I worked hard to get all those apples. And it's fine if you're going to save the world or something, but can't you do it over there? I mean, if you're going to save the world, it should mean it should be easier for me to gather some apples in my cart. Not that you get all up in my grill and tell me to change my life. And this is why, to some, Jesus is the sign spoken against or sign opposed. Some people don't want to hear what he has to say or pay the cost of doing things his way. And for all of us, it's hard to want to change. And the zinger from Simeon to Mary is to make her realize that even her own soul will be pierced and even her own thoughts exposed by the tumult that Jesus will cause. A little bit of a side note here on Mary. Uh, We do catch a glimpse of Mary's struggle with understanding her own son Jesus and his mission. Uh, We see it in Mark's gospel in the third chapter. I'll say the verses if you want to look up later. It's verses 20 through 35. Mark 3, 20 through 35. I'm not going to flip over there. But if you remember that scene, it's basically where Mary and Jesus' brothers go to collect Jesus from his ministry and to bring him back home because they thought he was a little crazy. It's, it's right there in Mark chapter 3. And uh, I think what this shows is that even Mary at some point during Jesus' ministry wasn't quite sure what to do with him. Seeing that she came out of it because she's there uh, during uh, the end of Jesus' life and before the resurrection, and we see that in other places. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to overturn her apple cart a little bit too to deal with her own son. Simeon's point here is that the appearance of the Messiah is going to rock your world. Things are going to change. It's not going to be the same. There's going to be upheaval. It's going to go topsy-turvy here. Jesus is controversial. And it probably cost Mary some of her reputation in the community, maybe the support of the Jewish leadership to stand with her controversial son against the establishment. But the same thing is true, frankly, for us, that our lives will not be the same once we encounter him and realize the importance of who he really is. The thoughts and the priorities of our own hearts are going to be exposed in the light of Jesus Christ. And if we want to live a life of meaning, we got to realize that it centers on Jesus, but also that following him, it's going to cost us. It might cost us our time. 
might cost us money or reputation before the world at large when we swim upstream, or it could cost us in a hundred other ways. Uh, but my question for you here today is, is, what is it costing you to follow Jesus, who is here at the very center of human history? Is your life and your priorities pretty much the same as before you encountered him? Does your weekly time schedule or your relationships reflect your submission to him? Or do they tell the watching world that other priorities and other things are more important? Because if our lives are more or less the same after we meet Jesus than before, maybe we failed to see in Jesus what Simeon saw. Here, right in our midst, is the Savior of the world. This is the one worth living for. And to follow him, to get on his program, is going to create a little bit of upheaval, even in our personal lives. And this is the message of Simeon's song. How do you live a life of real meaning? You live a life of real meaning by spending it utterly, by pouring it out as an offering to Jesus. You count the cost, but then you joyfully pay it because there's nothing else worth living for. He is our pearl of great price that we ought to give up all for regularly to take hold of him and to be a part of what he is doing in our families, at our workplaces, and in the world. So as we close this morning, uh, I just want to offer two challenges to you. And the first one's for those of us who already follow Christ, for Christians. Uh, the world's a noisy place. world in 2019, 2020, it's a pretty noisy place. And there's a million different things calling to us for our time and attention. And so if you're already a follower of Christ, my challenge is just to, between now and the end of the year, get together with God in prayer and reflect on where Jesus is in our priorities. You could ask him in prayer, hey, Lord, are there any apple carts in my life that you want to overturn? Any ways you want me to change my thinking, or the way that I speak? the way that I live? Is there any relationship you want me to work towards reconciliation on? A million other things. That's my challenge for us Christians is to get with God and ask him, where, where am I at with putting you first? Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, I have a different challenge for you. And that's simply this, is figure out this God thing once and for all. I urge you not to put it off. No, don't wait another year. Don't wait another day. Because this is too important of a question to get wrong or to put off. There are evidences that God is real. And beyond that, there are evidences that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And uh, if you're not familiar with those evidences, you can come talk to me or one of the other elders uh, here at Bethel. Uh, and I've also printed a list of resources in your bulletin if you look in there. Some websites and some books that we'll offer to you. Uh, if you're investigating those kinds of questions because we want you to be able to have an answer to that. And last, I just have a final word here. It's not really a challenge, but an invitation per se. For those of you who haven't put your trust yet in Jesus, but you want to and you're ready to today. You've heard this morning that Jesus is the center of the life that is worth living, and that is true. And you've also heard that it will cost you to follow him, and that's true too. But you can follow him and joyfully let him flip over your apple carts 
as you start living a life of real meaning today. So I'm just going to close this in prayer. And uh, if you feel that you understand that Jesus died for your sins, he rose from the dead, and you want to say to God, you know what, I'm tired of being my own boss. I want to follow you. Uh, I'll pray a prayer. You say something like that in your heart to God. And uh, then let us know uh, in the bulletin response. But let me pray. Lord, uh, we've all turned our own way. We've all tried to be our own boss, Lord, and I've done that as well. I'm sorry. And I want to turn away from being my own Lord, my own boss. And I want your ways, your way of doing things. And I recognize that uh, you, Jesus, have come to fix the problem, not just with the world, but also in my own heart, my own uh, brokenness before you. So I turn away from my sin and I turn to you in faith. I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins, that you paid the penalty for the bad things that I did so that I can be free. Thank you for that. Help me to know you and walk with you. We pray this in your name, Jesus.